Watson right here. What's up, brother? Exciting, excited to be here. A lot going on, man. Talking about winter is coming, and uh, for some folks, uh, coming a little bit earlier than others. Uh, always a pleasure here. Uh, in good company as well with our, uh, what is his name again? Oh, Leatherface right Leatherface. here. That's Bubba Hewitt. Actually, I'm going to get this show in just a second. I'm just waiting for the tweet to pop up. Guys in the back, just let me know when that gets up there. We got some developing news. We're about to go on air and talk about something completely different. The war room, the news war room walked in here, and we said we got some breaking news from you. Multiple ports have come into Freight waves late last night and today saying that Convoy has canceled all of their loads and sent their staff home. We're not clear entirely on uh, if this is a bankruptcy or if they've been sold, if it's some sort of acquisition. We know that there had been talks like that. It's a developing story. We're going to have more information. The whole story will be up on FreightWaves.com pretty soon. And our own CEO and founder, Craig Fuller, is going to help break down this whole brokerage situation that is going on on this very show on Friday, but what do you make of Convoy, this news that we just got? Well, it really just depends. Craig had recently did a tweet talking about challenges to brokerages. I talked about from being a brokerage, there's a fear with the the soft market, your lanes are underwater. So, uh, you know, looking at this right now, the big question is, is this going to be an isolated event or the freight equivalent of a Lehman Brothers moment? There is a lot of concerns for brokerages right now, especially their business model. When times get soft and your margins are compressing, how much cash flow do you have to make it? So a lot to unpack here. A lot to unpack. A lot has happened, too. By the way, really quick, too, the driver shortage number has been revised. This is also breaking news. Uh, This is how it started, how it's going. You guys got that image? Yeah, here it is. So about a month ago, Craig Fuller put out an article talking about the driver shortage, dispelling, debunking the driver shortage myth, especially in this market where we're having yellow bankruptcies, convoy maybe being gone, all these companies, all these drivers out there in the market. Uh, They revised their numbers. They said Freightways gets it wrong on the driver shortage on September 6th, and then on Monday, I guess Bob Casello is admitting uh, the ATA got it wrong, too. They've revised it. It's down to 60000 That's where it was in 2019, Thomas. We've done it. We have solved the driver shortage. We have saved, apparently, 20,000 uh, driver-related jobs. But when you're looking at these data sets, always be a little concerned because it's a very large, fuzzy number. Uh, for, for lobbying purposes, it's great if you want to get congressional leaders or somebody to try and get you funding. But for actual working people inside operations, uh, you know, it's very fungible. Drivers, if there was an ever-ending shortage, we would see that in rate data. Thomas, we are going to have to ask you to step off for uh, a minute here. The man of the hour, Craig Fuller, has just stopped by. His story is so big, it's brought him down to the studio. Let's uh, let's talk to Craig here, because Craig, you started this day. I mean, it's almost ominous in hindsight. You put a tweet out talking about what was going on with brokerages and some of the challenges that we're seeing in the industry, and then all these reports are coming in about Convoy now. Yeah, I, you know, a story that I've actually been working on for some time didn't have enough uh, sort of smoke around the story, but the idea is that a lot of freight brokers are struggling. You know, I've heard predictions as many as 25% of the freight brokerage market is at risk. Uh, and really, I'll dive into it in a bit, but um, this story is about Convoy uh, specifically. We have a statement here that Convoy has apparently sent out to customers. It says, today we are taking serv- several necessary steps to prepare Convoy's transition for a transition that we will have more details on the next 48 hours. We will have more to share in the next 48 hours and cannot answer any questions at this time. As such, all shipments have been canceled from our marketplace. You can choose to work with the carriers that were booked on canceled shipments directly. 
If you need any care or contact information, you can reach out to support at convoy.com. What we've been told from multiple sources is that Convoy sent everyone home and they cleared out their boards and they're no longer accepting new shipments uh, and basically shuttering operations. And I, I have to tell you that this story um, I, has been blowing up for the next couple of hours. I was actually over at the courthouse for a rezoning application. My phone started blowing up. But I came over to the studio. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a really sad day for the folks at Convoy that I know really you know, it, it is a sad day. I mean, Dan and his team are a, a great team over there. News like this, it, it has to be, you know, driving a lot of participants in the market insane this morning, right? They've just, they've just been through all the yellow struggles. When we talk about all the loads being canceled, how many, like, loads would that be? You know, I was told from sources that are much more familiar with the inside metrics of Convoy is they were, it got as high as about $800 million in revenue, and you figure $2,000 uh, per transaction, um, and just think about what that represents in terms of size. We're talking, you know, 5,000 loads, 10,000 loads a day, uh, something of that sort of scale. Uh, the issue is that, you know, it went from 800 million to 500 million, but I think we have to sort of understand and unpack why is this happening. You know, Convoy has raised $900 million. Why are we in a situation where a company that raised that much money would suddenly shut down? And I think what you have to understand is that a lot of the funding mechanisms go beyond venture capital. So VCs uh, fund called speculative uh, businesses. And Convoy, in the very early days and really throughout its history, was able to show really high growth, really smart team around it. And uh, as it was showing high growth numbers, it got a lot of investors excited about the opportunity to disrupt the trucking industry. But what's happened over the last 18 months is this freight recession's really taken a toll. And it's taken its toll in, uh, in the early part of it was volume losses. The second part of the cycle is really that margin compression. And one thing that happened with a lot of these high growth brokers, and Convoy would be classified as a high growth broker, is they finance their receivables through what we call asset based lines of credit, sort of like factoring. It's a bit more of a, a mature product, so truckers would be familiar with factoring. Asset-based lines of credit are typically with larger banks and institutions, but they own the receivables, and they have covenants in there, which is no different than if you run a business, you have a debt covenant. And that covenant is basically a way for the bank to manage risk. And so that if you break or violate a covenant, then what happens is the bank is ultimately um, can, can ultimately freeze your line of credit. And that, while I have no information about whether that has specifically taken place here, we know in the brokerage industry is that uh, a lot of brokers who had asset-based lines of credit uh, are struggling or in violation of those covenants, which means these banks can actually seize those businesses at any moment in time. Is, was there a lot of interest around Convoy's business? I know they were looking at potentially some strategic acquisitions. Maybe that's happened here. Again, like we said at the top, we're still waiting for some clarity. But what do you, what do you think is shaking out here? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that we've heard over the last couple of, really the last couple of months this has been uh, butting up, but certainly in the last couple of weeks, is that uh, Convoy had packaged up its business to sell. I think they had sort of realized that uh, this freight winter, this freight recession was going to go a lot longer than any of us expected. Uh, and it's continued to go a, a lot longer than any of us have as expected. And so they realized that the best outcome for them was to take the business and sell it. And I, look, as a founder of a venture-backed company like Freightwaves, 
It's a really hard thing to do, especially when you're selling in a, what we call a down round or in a, in a sort of distressed situation, which is mean I'm taking this business that at one point on paper was worth a lot of money, and now I'm having to basically sell it just to keep it alive. And I think what we've heard is that Convoy has went out and shopped the business. Uh, there was four final bidders in the bidding process. Uh, names that we were told, uh, sources have suggested that C.H. Robinson was one of those bidders, Walmart was one of those bidders, oh, wow. um, Amazon was one of those bidders, and Maersk was one of those bidders. And so you have four major companies that certainly have the balance sheet to do that. C.H. Robinson is actually, oddly enough, the smallest of those companies uh, that would potentially bidding on it. Um, Walmart's, uh, you know, Walmart wants to be bigger uh, play in freight. We've heard that they've hired folks to build a freight brokerage in-house at Walmart. Uh, they've certainly declined uh, to talk about that on record uh, and refused to answer questions. But those rumors have been out there. Those discussions have been out there for some time. Amazon is clearly a major participant in the market. And one of the interesting things about Convoy is Dan Lewis, uh, the founder, and Grant both worked at Amazon, were Amazon executives when they came up with the business model and raised some of their first money came from uh, Jeff Bezos. And so Bezos, uh, Bezos' venture fund was actually a backer. There's always been these rumors or expectations that at some point Amazon would acquire Convoy because of Bezos' backing. Obviously, that doesn't appear to be the case. Um, we have reason to believe that Amazon is not acquiring uh, Convoy, even in a distress situation. Uh, but we, we certainly don't know. They're all kind of compelling. All those names you listed are every kinda... one of them. Like what I've talked to people about Convoy's business model over the last couple of days, and this this story about the asset-based lines of credit isn't a Convoy story specifically. This is a story I've heard for the last couple of months. Um, but as I learned last year, if you go too early uh, with the story before the market sort of develops, and you're too out there on a limb. You, you sort of expose. So I've sort of held off on reporting it, waiting for more information, but a lot of folks have told me that's the situation. Um, but one of the things that I, I've also heard about Convoy, and I, we certainly have seen it, is that Convoy had great technology, really smart team, like really solid engineering team, very thoughtful team, and um, unfortunately, it, it was just on the wrong side of the market. Like the market, you know, the, the freight gods have not been kind to freight brokers in the high growth freight brokers this year, and it hasn't been kind to anybody in trucking. And look, every business, including ours, is exposed to this market, and it just means, I think, you know, brokerage winter is coming. If it's, actually, it's here. We're right in the middle of it. I mean, that's what you tweeted this morning. You said that you're hearing that a ton of midsize, not just digital freight brokerage like Convoy, a ton of midsize brokerages are in financial trouble. That's what we're hearing. You know, someone had estimated, and I think this is an exaggeration, but I've heard as much as 25% of freight brokers in that mid-market level are potentially exposed. I think that's, again, I think that's a big stretch. But even if it's 5% of that number, we're talking about some real sizable freight brokers, which have an enormous amount of exposure to the market. And remember, it's because they finance their businesses and they use receivables, accounts receivable, to finance the growth of their business to enable them to grow their business uh, aggressively in terms of staff and resources. And what happens is when the market turned over and your average load went from, say, $3,000 a load to $1,500, two things happened. One is uh, you just 
that completely slowed down the amount of capital that were available to you because that line of credit is directly related to the size of your portfolio. And then the second thing that happened is that you're in violation of what we call covenants, which are those uh, rules that the banks put on you to say, hey, you must do this and your company has to have this kind of element. If it doesn't and violates one of these rules, we have the right to foreclose on the business. I don't know that the banks have foreclosed. I'm not suggesting that's the case. But we do know that Convoy has been in discussions to find uh, potential exit partners. Your optimism um, is kind of out the window, too. I, I know Freight Waves was a little bit more. That was your other tweet today, was that uh, Q4 recovery just doesn't look like it's happening. In fact, we were just talking on our last show that you were saying recovery isn't going to happen for like 74, 78 months. You know, it's a really... A weeks, I'm sorry. Months like, would be a long time. You know what's time. crazy, Dooner, is it was last March was the start of the freight recession. And, and, you know, you typically think these things through courses of months. Um, Three-year cycle is sort of the rule of thumb that we've always used. But one of the things that we all expected, I certainly was early on this, if you remember the bloodbath conversation, the great purge, we all believed that the capacity was going to leave the exit much, uh, leave the industry much faster and the market would recover much faster. I am not alone in that, that view. And a lot of executives that I have an enormous amount of respect for that have been in this industry for decades uh, have also believed that was the case. And what I think we've all learned is that this cycle is very different. The freight recession, this freight recession, is different than any freight recession we've ever had. And I've been asking myself for the last couple of months, why have we not seen, really for the last year, why have we not seen a big reset in capacity? If you have really challenging conditions, normally you would expect the owner-operator market and the really small carriers to exit. We have not seen a level of purge to actually get the market back in balance, and the question is why? We believe that the reason is that the freight brokerage has been a massive growth industry, went from a cottage industry. You know, freight brokers weren't actually legal. You could not legally broker freight until 1980. And so this is a recent, sort of a recent industry that's sort of come to uh, sort of prominence. And in the last 15 years, or at least specifically the last 10 years, it's been a massive growth industry, employing hundreds of thousands of people that basically broker freight. Well, at some point, that bubble was going to burst and it was going to have some victims it was gonna take out. And we believe now that um, Convoy is probably the biggest name of it if, if it isn't true, uh, the case that they've shut down operations. Before I let you go, anyone else we should be watching? Like, I think companies, what I've been told by folks, and one of the things that is interesting is I talk to a lot of folks in banks, these banks that actually do the lending. I've talked to people that are in the ecosystem. I've talked to big brokers that have been getting phone calls from these lenders saying, hey, I think you should consider trying to play matchmaker. Like, everybody's trying to sort of figure out how to protect their portfolios. And what the the numbers that I've been told is that 50 to – $250 $250 million revenue number is probably the big risk. And so um, it's a, it's a, look, it's a sad day. I, I personally consider Dan a friend. I know you do as well. Sure. Uh, the team at Convoy has been, are, are great people. Uh, and, and anytime you see this, there are going to be people that sort of, you know, as anyone does in this business, is sort of gloat. But let's remember that Convoy is a, is, is a victim of the market as much as anybody is. And so I would be very reluctant to be excited uh, to see anyone lose their jobs or a company, because this is really a macro situation and, um, and, and really a challenging situation for everybody. We're going to have a lot to talk about F3, and you're going to have a lot to talk to Zach Strickland about at the State of Freight webinar coming up in a couple days. Everybody register, check out Craig and Zach. They're going to they're gonna 
crushing this and give you some clarity. I do want to talk one last point. F3 is coming. Yeah. Uh, F3 is the uh, Future of Freight Festival in Chattanooga Mm -hmm. on November 6th and 8th. Um, It is bringing together thought leaders, bringing together big logistics companies and decision makers. And while we think about the future normally through the lens of technology, we have to think about the future in terms of what this post-bubble looks like. And, you know, I grew up, I was in college when the dot-com bubble burst. And not only did it impact the companies in the space, i.e. the technology companies and the dot-com companies, it also impacted the companies that serve those companies. So one of the important things that we're going to really dive into, what does this all mean? Where do we go from here? Because I think a lot of companies are impacted this that, frankly, may not have been venture funded or were venture funded, but perhaps had exposure to some of the brokerage industry and selling software. It's certainly going to be a topic of conversation that we should all all be having. Craig, thank you so much for for giving us some insight on what's uh, gone on this afternoon. Thanks, Duna, for having me. Uh, Best of luck. I appreciate it. All right, we got to tip the band because we jumped right into this one. So let's give a little shout out here over to AIT Worldwide Logistics. Looking for a new adventure? Take the next step on your career journey with AIT Worldwide Logistics. When you join their growing team, you collaborate with expert colleagues around the world to create innovative solutions backed by world-class customer service. Ready to push supply chain envelope, your next adventure is waiting. Visit the career section at AITWorldwide.com to learn more and apply today now we have a very interesting guest, and it's gotten even more interesting that he's here now. He has some experience in these. I don't know if he was expecting a convoy shutdown when he showed up on the show. It's Britton Ladd. He is a strategy advisor. He has some Amazon background. He does some of the best, spiciest takes on what companies should be doing in the industry to transform themselves, and he's here with us right now. Britton, it's so great to meet you. I read your posts all the time. I'm a little bit of a fanboy. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Now, before we jump into all of this, and I've got like a brand new story to, to throw at you, give, give everyone here a little insight into your background in case they've never met you before. So I began my career, frankly, in the Marines, served in the Marines for six years, uh, went to college. When I graduated, I started working in logistics. And from there, I just started to progress, uh, doing other things in logistics, started moving into technology, lots of supply chain strategy, became a consultant for Deloitte. I uh, went and lived in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I was a consultant for Saudi Ramco, did stints in India, did stints in China, then went to Amazon. One of my first jobs at Amazon was designing a strategy for them to become a third-party logistics company. And prior to joining Amazon, I'd written a strategy report where I recommended to Amazon to acquire Whole Foods. And so I've I've kept up with doing that type of work. I was recruited from Kroger, uh, from Amazon, and I went to Moscow in 2019, spent a lot of time in Russia, and I've just really been working with companies globally, a lot of strategy, supply chain, logistics work, a lot of AI work, because everyone's into that now, and it's been really fascinating watching what's been transpiring globally over about the last two years especially, I mean, let's start at Freight Tech. I mean, the story that we woke up today was that Convoy sent their staff home. They canceled all the loads on the board, and they may have been acquired. And Craig Fuller was just up here. He said some of the names. We don't know exactly who uh, who may have bought them, if they've gone into bankruptcy, if this the strategic thing. But Amazon, Walmart, and Maersk were in those potential names of suitors. Correct. Uh, so I've been communicating with Dan on this. I've been con- uh, communicating with several people. I've been writing articles about Convoy, and frankly, I've been trying to help Convoy do a much better job of making the argument of why they should be acquired. And here's the thing that I really recommend to companies. 
if I reach out to you and I say, I really like to write something or I'd like to assist in some way, I'm not charging you for that. I'm just going to write some stuff. And had Convoy been more willing to share with me what the facts were, I could have worked on their behalf behind the scenes with C.H. Robinson or Maersk or Amazon or Walmart or many other companies. And so what happened is they kept things too close to the vest. Uh, they were losing all on opportunities to actually speak to companies who would have been interested in them. And I was communicating with Dan as early as yesterday. And the thing that I was really reinforcing to him is we need the facts because you really need to control the narrative. And it was really just one of those things where I could tell everything was starting to collapse. So do I think they're going to be acquired? I know that what I had heard multiple times was that Coyote Logistics mm. was willing to acquire them for $50 million. Now, remember, Convoy was saying that they were worth more than a billion dollars just a few months ago, frankly. Uh, certainly in 2022, they were saying we're in that two to three billion dollar range, which was foolishness. They were never close to that. So I think it's possible that Coyote Logistics could still acquire the intellectual property and so forth. But, I'm, but am I surprised that Convoy shut down? No. And the reason why is because Amazon was never willing to give them a lifeline. And that was something that told me maybe the stuff we're hearing out of Convoy is more smoke and mirrors than Convoy was wanting us to realize. Wow, man. Amazon has has such a name in this freight tech space. They've been making so many waves. My, my other and I know you've covered this one extensively, but my audience hasn't really heard. You've got another spicy take. And I'm curious, what was the bigger story? Dave Clark joining Flexport or Dave Clark leaving Flexport? You know, I'd written some articles uh, about Dave. I really wrote, I said, that was a mistake. I, it didn't make sense to me at all. When you are at a company the size of Amazon and you're going to take another position, you better take something that's going to be looked at as, wow, this is really elevating this individual. Uh, this individual is really going to be able to apply all this experience and they're going to be able to create something special. And I've always been very negative towards Flexport. I've always stated that Flexport is a mirage company, meaning there's nothing there. It's all BS. It's all smoke and mirrors. And so I never understood how Dave thought he could go there and was actually going to accomplish anything. Now, I don't want to dismiss the fact that he went there and tried. I truly believe he wanted to do well. But when it came time for him to leave and the story broke, I didn't focus on Dave leaving. I understood that there was always going to be tension there. What I focused on is I believe the board of directors at Flexport made the wrong decision. They should not have fired Dave Clark. They should have fired uh, the founder of the company, Ryan Peterson. Uh, and I still believe that that's eventually going to have to happen. I don't think that Flexport can survive. Uh, I believe within 12 to 24 months, I won't be surprised to see them go out of business. And my advice to people who've reached out to me from Flexport is you better find a buyer and fast because I believe your value is less than a billion dollars now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I I, I've talked to Ryan a, a few times, but it, it's sort of interesting to pivot back to being this 3PL. Like he's out there uh, trying to promote like their duty drawback services. Duty drawback is something I did, you know, as a service at FedEx Trade Networks. It was like one of my first forays in this business. And it's great. You can give importers back money, but it, you know, it doesn't actually make you a billion dollar company. It's not what made FedEx Trade Networks a billion dollar company. That's for sure. 
Well, remember, there were people saying that Flexport was as much as an $8 billion company, a $6 billion company. I'm like, I don't know what you're smoking, but you really ought to stop because it's it's basically um, not allowing you to understand reality. So I would I like to see Flexport succeed? Yes. But I never understood why Flexport was even needed as a company. Uh, it was one of those things where a lot of things just came together and they they got a lot of publicity. Ryan was very smart in getting on TV as much as possible during the supply chain disruption that was occurring. And he really became Mr. Supply Chain. Everyone was looking to him uh, for being able to solve a lot of this. And he was smart for doing that. Uh, that's why my nickname for him is Littlefinger from the show. Uh, um, Game of what Thrones, is that right? show? Game of, Game of Thrones, Thrones. Right? that's it. Game of Thrones. And, and that's not an insult to him, but he's just one of those people where I think he looks at all of the stuff that's going on and he does his best to insert himself at the right moment. It worked well. Uh, I don't think he inserted himself back into Flexport at the right moment at all, because when he did return to Flexport, he really gave the perception that he honestly didn't know what was going on in his, in his own company. And I think he's lost a lot of credibility for that. Interesting. You know, you posted recently that time is running out for thinking big. And for some companies, like literally time is time is out. They've run out of time to do it. What is the huge constraint right now? You work in you're very familiar with uh, M&A, private equity. Who's doing acquisitions out there? Why is time running out? Well, time is running out because what I've noticed globally, but especially what I've started to notice more in the United States is there's finally a realization that the big problem we have in the United States is there are too many supply chains. Mm. There are too many logistics networks. And I think what we're going to see is a, a much bigger emphasis on companies like Amazon, Walmart, uh, others who are going to say, we need to do a much better job of taking this business from companies and let us manage everything. And so if you're now a company just waking up to the fact that, wow, Amazon is going to generate $100 billion to the bottom line because of their supply chain management program, uh, Amazon Supply Chain it's called, well, what are we going to do? And you, you're starting very late in the game. And so my advice to companies is step back a moment and realize the purpose of a supply chain is to do one thing, enable growth. That's all that is for. If you don't have a best-in-class supply chain, if you don't have a strategy for how to enable your supply chain to drive that growth, um, you're really in a world of hurt. And so when I said the time is running out to think big, too many companies are still acting like it's 2005, it's 2010. Some companies are out there thinking it's still in the 1980s and the 1990s, and they really have no hope. I also believe that what companies need to do is step back and say, so who are our strategic partners and who can we really work with that's going to help them? It's going to help us. We can reduce each other's costs, but we can really increase our performance across everything that we do. And not enough of that has been taking place. And so when you're faced with these behemoths out there like a Walmart and Amazon and others, who have the ability to really start disrupting the industry you're in um, and disrupt the way that you are engaging with your customers and so forth. You frankly now have run out of an opportunity to partner. 
because no matter what you do, you're never going to be able to be competitive against an Amazon. And if I had to say, so what's the rest of the 2020s look like? It's going to be consolidation. It's going to be leveraging the AWS model for logistics. Amazon absolutely is going to take on much more business from other companies because I believe they're going to be able to reduce most companies' logistics costs by about 30% or more. And then you're going to have Walmart that's out there saying, we need to get involved in this as well. And that's what they're doing with their symbiotic relationship and so forth. But if you don't have a CEO and other executives who honestly can think big, who can crush all assumptions about that company that they're leading and come up with a better way to manage it, to run it, to enter into new channels and that, you're really, really going to struggle to succeed and grow through the 2020s. What is what is bigger thinking? What do you like better? Um, Uber drivers delivering packages or delivery robots? Well, it's, it's interesting. I've worked with companies on both of that. I think I would have to go with the delivery with the, the, the robots that basically can work in, in warehouses. So Amazon, uh, this isn't common knowledge, but what Amazon is actually starting to do is they're piloting a, a robot called Digit from a company called Agility, uh, Agility Logistics. And what Digit can do, if you go to Google and you just type in Digit, Digit Robot, this thing walks, it can pick up stuff. Um, it's actually probably the most realistic bipedal robot out there. And Amazon has big plans for this thing. I mean, big plans. And what I mean by that is having thousands and thousands of these robots uh, within their ecosystem. Do I think that an Uber driver delivering packages is really all that special? No. Uh, but what would be special is if Uber works with a company and they say, we're going to basically leverage autonomous vehicles and the autonomous vehicle will pull up and on the autonomous vehicle is a robot like Digit that can perform the function of what the driver can do. Now, I want you to think about that. Look at how much bigger of an idea that is. I have an autonomous vehicle. It's loaded with groceries or packages. It can drive itself to any customer. And then the robot that's sitting in the back seat or sits on the side of the vehicle, however they would do it, it gets out and it actually picks up the groceries and makes the delivery, picks up the package and makes the delivery. It can retrieve packages sitting out on the front porch, uh, at a customer, put in the vehicle. Then that vehicle, when it's made all the deliveries, well, it's routed to the post office or FedEx or UPS or whatever. And the, the robot takes it in and hands it in and says, I picked this up for Britain and Bob and Steve and whatever. And that's how they complete that, that business transaction. So that to me is really a bigger opportunity, but I don't know how long it's going to take. We're several years away at a minimum from seeing that example of the autonomous vehicle with a robot on it. That to me is really how you change the game of logistics. Yeah, you got to solve that sort of final footstep problem. You can get the vehicle there, but you still like, and as a consumer, like I'm so used to speaking on my doorstep. I don't necessarily like, it's, it's not a better experience for me if I'm sitting like on the third floor of my house and I get a ping that I got to walk all the way downstairs and like go out to some truck to go and get my stuff. It's, you know, right now Correct. I get it on my doorstep. Correct. I wrote an article about it. I called it solving the longest yard because that's really what the problem is. Any one of us could get together and we could raise capital and we can come up with autonomous vehicles. We can put the software in, that vehicle can drive itself forever. But what do we do 
when the vehicle arrives. We still have the exact same experience that everyone else would have. And so this to me is really where I think the big money is going to be. I think this is really where the big investments are going to be. This is where I think AI uh, will play an outsized role in making this a reality. But I really am looking forward to this because when it becomes a reality, and then when you go upstream in the supply chain more and you have robots working in these facilities, that's when you see these crazy margins increase. The speed of the supply chain and logistics will increase. But what will happen is more people will buy more stuff because the entire transaction is going to be compressed. The velocity will be there. And that's just going to change consumer behavior. So this is one of those things where it's, it's, it's actually going to be transformative to the United States, but other countries as well that will implement this. Britton, I love all the insight today. People who want to follow all of your writing, these great breakdowns, these great high-level breakdowns you do of tech and mergers, where do I send them to? Just have them reach out to me on LinkedIn. I connect with anyone who reaches out to me. All my articles are there. You can also go to BrittonLad.com and read articles that I write there as well. Britton, thank you so much for your time. Don't be a stranger. We'll definitely have to have you back soon. And uh, man, what a crazy day with that convoy news to, to lead things off. It's, it was great to have well, you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Honest. Take care. All right, everybody. Did you know that AIT Worldwide Logistics has been recognized as a top performer by Cranes, Forbes, Inbound Logistics, Transport Topics, and yes, even Freight Waves? They're on our Freight Tech 100 list. Boost your job satisfaction, regain a sense of purpose, and open your career opportunities. One of the fastest growing organizations in the industry. Visit the career section at AITWorldwide.com to learn more and apply today. Um, hold on. Show the meanwhile clip before we go to the water balloons because this is a nice final mile thing. You might want to be a delivery robot if you come to this house. Look at the size of this beast. Look at the size of that pit bull. This must happen all the time at this house, too, because he bursts through the door, and she's not really that phased. And she's not even getting Zeus. She's, like, out there chasing this driver. Where is the dog? He's getting mauled right now. Would Randy? No, I have a lab. My lab would not do that. He might jump up and knock you over. You got to be careful about that. All right, let's take a look at what happened over at Steam Logistics as I invite our next guest up. <laughs> Come on over, Lee. We're looking at we're looking at Steve Cox get pelted with a bunch of water balloons. <laughs> we're doing good. This is right across the street. Is he a Vikings fan, by the way? Huge Vikings fan. He's a huge Vikings fan. Always has been. We can't get it out of him. Now, okay. So Steve Cox, he is a in the world of freight, a very interesting character. A lightning rod on LinkedIn. And I kind of love how he's been feeding the trolls recently. We did the gong <laughs> thing, and now he's doing the, the balloon thing. Now, I hear it was like kind of your plan and the team's plan to pelt him with these. What's the story behind the water balloons? Well, I was, uh, I was the inaugural thrower. Yeah. Uh, and I believe our HR guy, oddly enough, was one that uh, came up with the plan to you know, just shake things up a little bit, man. We, we got a lot of stress in that office trying to, you know, push through and, and, and work very hard to obtain our goals. Um, having some fun every now and then is, is, is I think, it's very important I to think be it able is, to do so. I think it is, too, and I think a lot of people want to see Steve get hit with water balloons just as people want to see my head get used to ring a gong. I thought that <laughs> that whole debate was so silly, and I was, I was so happy you guys brought the gong over here. And I think we have a clip. Don't play the sound, but, but roll the clip. Last week or a week or two ago, they came. Yeah, here's their, your guy's gong. You, you walked across the street. That's me the in the corner there. Yeah, I'm, you I'm, and a Yeah, that's, that's the big out the belly there in the, in the blues, me. Steve and, and, and the goons, you guys picked me up. slammed me in here. My head was still rocking a little bit afterwards. I love it, though. And, and one of the reasons I like the gong is because 
this market has been rough right now. It's been tough for a lot of reps. It's been tough for a lot of people in sales. It's been tough for a lot of people in operations. It's tough for anyone who's paying attention. I mean, we led the show talking about convoys shutting down. We talk on this all the time through this freight recession of all these different shutdowns, Metal Arc Transportation last week, and a lot of the brokers are struggling too. It's been a tough time. How do you keep everyone moving forward when it seems like the market's running out of steam? Well, this is part of the puzzle, really. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, culture is a huge ingredient to what, you know, we feel like brings a very strong business and a, a business you can scale. And, and to be able to do that with some, some, some fun involved, you know, it's just uh, it's, it's what we want to see happen. All right. We, we want to see hard work. We want to see people really striving to be their best and bring the best forward for their customers. That doesn't happen if you're in a foul mood and, and, and there's somewhat of a, you know, a slave driver mentality, right? We, yeah. we, we want to see people enjoy themselves. Steve Cox does a very good job to be creative and allow himself to get abused as he does. Uh, we, we've, got, we've got to certainly take our hats off to that. Thank you, Steve. But, just, but, but yes, uh, it, it, was a, it was a fun day and uh, certainly per, per made for a pretty interesting afternoon. I've sold freight in a down market, and uh, I like your point about you don't have to beat the reps down in those markets because they're already getting beat down. They're already getting so many no's, and what you really got to do is gas people up. You got to get their spirits back up so they can pick up that gong mallet and hit it. How do you keep the gong ringing in a down market? It's just continuous effort. I'd yeah. say uh, consistency. You know, for all the brokers out there that are working through all this, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of pride in what you what you've come through. Uh, it's still not through. We got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, so maybe embrace that is be my, my suggestion and, and get to you know understand that you know hard is not always fun, uh, but but tough times certainly bring forth a lot of growth and, and you know we're getting our fair share of that now. So. Um, a lot of people that came into this market are no longer with us, and those that are, have, have been able to survive uh, are doing things, you know, the right way. So, you know, that, that's, that's a credit to those out there. Matt Dahl says, I hope we don't have another two-week debate on water balloon throwing now. Way to keep it fun. Great idea. <laughs> Matt, cannot agree more. I hope there are no naysayers on the water balloons. Um, HR approved, and uh, it looks like it, it came out without any, you know, any, any nicks or scratches. No, and it got a good response. Ken uh, Disson, he said, keeping your sales team motivated and happy. Creative thinking is always part of success. Great job, Steve. And again, I just got to give you guys some cowbell and applaud you. This is, it's depressing. It's depressing doing the show. It's depressing hearing about what's going on in the industry. There's a lot of depressing stuff going on in the world right now, and uh, I like that you guys are bringing a positive spirit, even if it rankles the feathers or ruffles the feathers of some of you out there on LinkedIn. <laughs> Agreed, yes. Well, Britain, people want to reach out to you. They want to reach out with Steam. They need some guidance through this market. Where do I send them to? I can go to our website, uh, you know, steamlogistics.com. Uh, look on LinkedIn. You'll find us. Obviously, we're there. And uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to grow through this. We're going to we're going to grow uh, as individuals and as a company. Uh, so we're, we're excited about it. Yeah. Which water balloon stung the most, by the way? Was it the one you threw? Uh, well, the one I threw hit the concrete. Oh. OK, uh, I was honestly a little bit nervous about uh, being the first guy. I didn't, I, I didn't know if it maybe go through his uh, face mask and, yeah. and find his way to his nose. That could have been a, a, a problem. But we were actually uh, it took about 20 feet out. To get there, you can sort of see, you know, uh, for those that actually hit Steve Cox, uh, you know, hands hands together for you. That's a fantastic job. That was a great throw. He said there was 48 balloons, and he said, yes, some did definitely in fact stick. I was about eight, uh, eight foot shy, Steve, <laughs> on my, my toss. Well, hey, Britton, thank you so much for stopping by and coming Thanks across the street. Really um, appreciate it. Don't be a stranger. Come back more often, you guys. Good seeing you. Take care. All right, Thomas Watson, you can come on right back now. 
Uh, <laughs> we're gonna bring up Super Trucker, Justin Martin too. We'll have both these guys up here. Doo -doo. They might have to make a frame for Super yeah. Trucker. Oh, yeah. I don't think oh. they knew you were coming back up here. Surprise. <laughs> we'll see him in a second. I know what they're doing in the back. I know what you, I know what you guys are up to. Let them cook. <laughs> Let them cook. <laughs> All right. So, what was your what, what is your take? We heard what Craig had to say. Obviously, it ties into what he was saying already about mid-sized brokerages. I know Convoy's digital brokerage. Then I talked to Britton Ladd, and he said he talked to Dan Lewis yesterday, and he had some insight that um, Coyote may have only offered $50 million for Convoy, a company that was obviously worth more than a billion dollars, a unicorn company for a little while. And I mean, you got to look at the value of the accounts as well, everything else being considered. But when I was a broker, this was the worst case scenario. If you want to talk about a situation where um, when the market gets soft and you have contracted freight, things are normally good, but your margins compress. And what can happen is all it takes is you to mess up on one load that's 50, uh, 50 bucks per load for 2,000 loads. It doesn't take a lot to put you in a situation where you can catastrophically have this problem. So for a lot of brokers, and I'm an account executive, I'm over there, I'm paying very close attention to finding out what were the details, what's the story behind how Convoy had this happen to them, because the big takeaway, in my opinion, would be call on my accounts and start having the conversations, because that could be you in Q1 when that RFP goes into effect and your lanes are underwater. It's like the big short, but the real risk is if carriers get more expensive and that lane still stays the same, you're going to lose money on every transaction. That's going to be rough. Well, telling about dire situations, Justin, you had something that you wanted to bring to everyone's attention today about what's going on over at Trucker's Final Mile. What's happening there? Yeah, so yesterday uh, they put out a statement. They are out of cash. Um, they help drivers who have passed away get home to their families. Also, drivers who say they're driving for a company and that company shuts down, they're on the road. They help them get home. Uh, they get you a flight home, and you know you, you basically have to take care of your uh, your stuff yourself. But they're out of they're out of funds. Um, they're stopping any requests for assistance until November first. Um, this isn't the first time they've had a brush with, you know, running out of cash, but now they're saying they're carrying a deficit. So it's just a sign of just how bad things are getting right now. Yeah. I mean, look, it's like, there's people out there who want to dunk on convoy or dunk on, on any one of these companies. But the thing is, look, the supply chain is all connected, interconnected. So is the money that flows around it. So it's a bad situation for everybody. And it, it hits everybody. It hits every aspect of it, including these groups that are out here supporting truckers that they have the hardest time finding funny funding in these markets, just like everybody else going out to, uh, to venture capital. It's tough to see. People who want to like help them out, where, where is it truckersfinalmile.org? Truckersfinalmile.org, yes. Truckersfinalmile.org. Okay, uh, something we put out yesterday was Freight's most unpopular opinions. This got a lot of traction. In fact, Thomas, you answered, so I will start with you. You said owner-operators will disrupt an OTR network due to them picking suboptimal loads that benefit them and not the motor carrier. There's a reason so many mega carriers' loads go into the Northeast. Explain your position, sir. Yeah, you can't. When you want to ask how the sausage is made, you can't give OTR drivers choice. There's a reason it's called a forced dispatch company for a lot of these mega carriers. So if you get more than about a quarter, I'd say, of uh, lease purchase and owner operators as your total fleet count, they will pick all the loads that avoid the Northeast, only are below I-40 and are like 20,000 pounds. And then the other drivers, you may have other issues because now they're wondering, why am I going up to Pennsylvania again? I should be going somewhere else. So little few things in mind. Owner operators are typically good, but if you get too many of them, free choice can wreck your network. Justin, you had your own unpopular opinion. What was it? 
Well, just to bounce off of Thomas, I was one of those company drivers taking those loads, so <laughs> it was rough <laughs> out there. Um, mine was, you know, my typical one, uh, trucking is a commodity. Um, mm. The first time I read that from Craig, it kind of, I had to sit there and like stew that in my head for a bit, but it, it really makes sense in this part of why we're seeing things as rough as they are now that we still have too many drivers and too much capacity in the net, in the networks. And so everything's down as a result, you know, t- early 2020 during COVID uh, rates were high, valuations were high, volumes were high, and all of that has fallen in the last, you know, two and a half years. And that's, you know, so it's not just affecting drivers, it's affecting everybody. So Thomas, unpopular opinion, I know people will get upset about that one uh, super trucker just said, would you agree with this statement that, uh, freight is a commodity, but service is the differentiator. Oh, completely. I would agree with that because it's, uh, it is commoditized, but service sets it out. Even No matter what your size, if you can't service it, they'll hand it to somebody smaller or larger. Yeah. Uh, you have to set yourself apart, and because it's so similar, completely, completely agree. And the bad part is uh, it's really hard for larger carriers to service well. So there are benefits to being smaller. Yeah, and, and look, I would agree with you guys. At, I've done both operations and I sold freight, and I can tell you when people are selling freight, they definitely think of it as a commodity. You're thinking of it as a commodity. You're providing the service, but you're thinking of it as a commodity. You, don't, you just want to book this load. I mean, you obviously want to make sure it's a good one, and you deal with that in sales all the time because one bad thing goes wrong with a transaction, and you get blacklisted from these companies and set out because they go, anybody can pull our freight. You hear the reality of it, and I understand, like, idealistically, you may want to say otherwise, but the reality of it is that there's a lot of, there's, and as Britton Ladd said, there's way too many supply chains and way too many providers out here. There's just not a lot of consolidation in this business. Well, that's the biggest point when we talk about relationship building in a commoditized market. Let them know you exist and that you're not bad and that you aren't a commodity. And I think mm-hmm. we've t- we don't touch on that. Everyone talks about build relationships. Well, how should you? Make sure you still keep me on the routing guide. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the best way to look, people always say, yeah, it, taking people to golf, you know, taking them to Skybox, that, that kind of stuff helps. But what helps keep a day-to-day relationship is good service. I mean, honestly, that's, that's, how, that's how we get back at people in this business. Someone shows up late, someone charges too much, we just go with somebody else. And they get yelled at. It, it's a cascading chain of effect. If you fail to show up somewhere, someone else is depending on that. So, yeah. you know, the people who are looking at it and say, well, I'm not a commodity, I'm unique. Well, you fail about five loads, you'll find out real quick how much a commodity you can yeah. be when they pick someone else. Well, and here's the thing, too. Look, none of this freight moves without the customer. And I know sometimes drivers get mad about that, too. This is my truck, I'm moving this stuff. Yeah, but that truck would not be moving if there was not a load attached to it. Why is there a load attached to it? Because you have a customer. Don't forget that when you're providing service. That'll keep you around a lot longer. How about this one? Liz Wayne says, brokers don't all drive G-Wagons, Justin. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Maybe in this economy. <laughs> Least G-Wagon or 2002 G-Wagon. You think the repo men are coming? <laughs> the G-Wagon index. Oh. What year model G-Wagon are we at? Ooh, Justin, the Huntsman says he thinks that they want to keep all drivers kind of fat and compliant. He said more drivers should fool drivers themselves, actually. He's not attacking the industry. He said more drivers should focus on personal health, uh, despite how difficult it can be. Lombard Trucking needs to write a workout plan for truckers if he hasn't yet. Did drivers have to take more of an onus upon themselves, Super Trucker? Take care of your temple before you worry about your own carrier setting up health programs or other things to do it. Does it start here? Absolutely, because the, the worse health you're in, the worse the least work you can do. I mean, I've, I've watched guys struggle to get in and out of the trucks, struggle to get in, in and out of trailers. You know, it, at the end of the day, it is a physically demanding do- job, especially if you're trying to run, you know, better paying loads like flatbed or a reefer. Maybe you have to, you know, load this stuff yourself. Um, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not taking care of your business. 
the irony is too, like drivers are health checked all the time. They got to go for like CDL physicals. Yeah. You think like th- their their health, their uh, substance abuse, those kind of things are widely known now because of the different databases we have and these kind of things. I definitely think, aside from the truckers and Tunsman Point, I, I do think there needs to be outside. I mean, I think carriers need to be taking a bigger role. I think organizations need to be taking a bigger role in health. But yeah, I mean, driver, if you don't take care of your, I mean, because even if they have all that stuff, you still at the end of the day have to go. I'm going to participate in that program. I'm going to I'm going to do the hard work and create the right habits it's messed up a lot of them don't even apply for the insurance that the company offers there's a huge issue trying to get folks to sign up for the policy with their carrier and uh the government one time i think about 10 years ago did a study and statistically drivers had the highest risks for health events because of that sedentary lifestyle it's a battle rc any trucker that yanks the jake brakes for s and gigs should be sent to jail for no less than one month what's the uh, jake break issue here justin I don't know what he's talking about as far as yanking the jig brakes. You, know, you, you like flip the, the switch sound. on and then you let off the accelerator and that, that turns it on. Uh, yeah, you know, time and a place for those. Don't don't just be blasting through town running that, you know, dick move. Yeah, what do you think? I hear him outside on 27 near my house, so you can always tell who's uh, cranking the jank or whatever, <laughs> yanking the jank break because you're this whoa, 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 Get hair in your palms. All right. Kurt Schaefer says 95% of freight tech is unnecessary and unproductive spend. The best way to improve American logistics at this point is increase rail and river line freight access. What do you think on that one, Thomas? Oh, man, I there I could go on a whole riverboat tangent. Those things are so mm-hmm. cool. But at the end of the day, shippers may not want to wait. And barges and trains are slower. So, hey, when we talk about increasing access, sure, maybe as a long-term goal if you want to do some stuff, but there's a reason it's on a truck. It's got to be there. I can't wait for like a week for them to Tom Sawyer it down the Mississippi. What do you think, Justin? You think uh, a lot of wasteful spending? We should just be using river river ships? <laughs> I don't know about river ships, but I've told tech companies themselves, like, ask yourself, what exactly are you building? Are you building RC, R2-D2 or C-3PO? And that, that was like a, a spark right there. You know, they want this tech in driver's hands. It has to work with the drivers. It can't be the thing nagging at them all day. It's got to be the, the Swiss Army knife you know, tool that can help them get uh, through, on, through locked doors, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I'm, like to Kurt's point, it's kind of two different things going on here with the freight tech spend, but then the rail, those are, I don't know, in my opinion, different things. But I think what does happen in a lot of organizations, though, is they will spend money on freight tech and they will waste money by not training people on how to use it when it's deployed. There's, mm-hmm. I've been in companies where they've, they've brought in a brand new technology. They don't train anybody. You, you Then like a year and a half later, the IT guy's like, hey, you got to log into such and such. And you're like, I, I don't even know what that is. Oh, they use it. <laughs> it's in corporate. It's the same way. The favorites when they think it's going to take all of our jobs. It's like, no, we've used this for 15 years. It's built on an IBM system. And so convincing people to actually adopt it, it's, it's wild. It's like 50-50 odds or even lower that you put in new tech and it actually works. Or like it actually mm-hmm. you know, makes its money and gets deployed. It's a shame to bring this one up without Rachel Premack up here, but Rich, New Jersey Pierce, says deregulation was a mistake and we should return to how things were prior to deregulation. Well, it was illegal to broker freight before there was regulation. What do you think? There was a, so the Carter administration, everything leading up to the MCA Act of 1980, uh, there were problems because the lanes, it would get to a point where you'd have to buy the rights to the lanes. It was very anti-competitive. There was a Byzantine process. There were two different types of chicken. Depending upon how your chicken was packaged, your lane could be like twice as expensive and it's the same type of chicken. I kid you not. These are the things they had to deal with. So, you know, adjusting it for the 21st century. That's my frame. We can't go all the way back because I don't want a union boss telling me my broiler chicken was the wrong type and I get charged twice as much. 
What do you think, Justin? We need to, do we need deregulation back? We need a lot more regulation. We might need some regulation reform, but I don't know if we need deregulation. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're not putting that genie back in the bottle. But I don't think so. The way things are right now, it's it's a down market, so we're really seeing the the, the pain points right right now. And rather than just ignore those until the market rebounds, we can start to maybe address some of these things, so we're better off during the next cycle. Well, here's my unpopular opinion: a lot of truckers need brokers because they have not trained themselves how to go and get freight. They haven't gone out. Mm-hmm. They haven't gotten created those relationships. We look at the spread between contract and spot being at eighty cents. They're on the wrong side of it because they learned how to only go off those load boards. And I think that sometimes they forget all the work that brokers do on the back. And I'm not saying that to defend brokers. I'm just saying the reality is that, like, if you as a broker, there's also a service they're providing for you. It, you know, and it's a back office that you don't want to go and hire. You can go and do what like uh, Mac Lovin does. You can go use a truck list and you can go run your own operations and be running fine, not complain nearly as much as these other guys, or you can eat off the load board and complain about it. It's a symbiotic relationship where both sides hate each other between carriers and brokers. And the reason is, if you have five trucks, Home Depot will not give you the time of day. Home Depot will give a billion-dollar brokerage enough time of day and oh, trust yeah. to give you the volumes that now you can run the load. And uh, when we talk about driver f- groups and even from brokerage groups, there's this animosity. But you both kind of – you're frenemies. You need each other because I can't get access without my size. And the broker needs me so they can have enough access to get the size. Superior payroll trucking services. It's not that there aren't drivers out there. They just don't want to work for you. Justin, this is probably an easy one to say that is actually popular, at least with you. Yeah, I wouldn't say this is an unpopular opinion at all. Maybe not with trucking companies, but that's certainly the attitude. Not with with drivers. Maybe with the other side of the industry, it's unpopular. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Watson? Payroll services. Oh man, I I could go on a le- I could go a lease purchase tangent one as well. But the payroll and the factoring and everything, I mean, it's there for a reason. Uh, the problem is like we're seeing receivables. You got to get paid. But yeah, if you have a crappy company, there's a reason drivers want to work with you. I mean, it's the, the people aren't stupid. We always hear about the labor stuff because right now in the tight market, people are paying more attention to how they're treated. Joey Slaughter. Let's talk. They talk. Oh, they talk through all these weird. I remember one time at my company, there's a whole hidden driver Facebook and text group, and they would share their own drama. And then you'd find out as management later, it's wild how they back channel. Well, Justin, the good news is uh, more drivers are. Your friend Bob Costello, he was on stage on Monday in Austin, Texas, saying that the driver shortage is now down to 60,000. Even though a month ago they said that we, like, we got it wrong. And then they're like, we're revi- actually, we're revising our own numbers. Sorry, we, we, can't, we can't put the smoke screen up. You got too much attention. Joey Slaughter, speaking of this kind of stuff, he says it's good that some trucking companies are going out of business. Hurts to say, but it's something we've said many times on this show when we talk about there being too much capacity, Watson. It's going to happen. I mean, it's like trying to yell at the tide going out. This is a cyclical market. The reason that we always talk about back in the good old days was there were more protections. Uh, and poorly run trucking companies will run out. The worst part is, though, uh, for sure, is like it, you don't want to like say they had it coming. You want to try to help as many people out. But a lot of these folks who do get in here often don't have a plan. They see the dollar signs. They look at social media. It's going to end bad. Just come up with a plan. Don't always look at the TikTok trend. Yeah. I mean, Justin, we've, we talk about this all the time, so I'm sure you – that. It's not an unpopular one on the show. Unpopular people have to lose jobs, but I mean, the reality is, yeah. I mean, we look at the, the chats over there. It's it's a popular opinion until it's your company going out of business. Yeah, never easy. Never easy. I like this one from Adam DeGroote. This one is not unpopular with me at all, but it may be at, at large. The primary variable in freight rates is time, not distance. Thomas. Ooh, Yes. Why does your grocery loads cost more? Because you won't pay me detention. I got to factor it in. Uh, You know, that is, I would definitely say that because some customers get a premium because if they take your time, enough folks will figure it out. They'll drive that rate up.
Yeah, I mean, time decides how far I can go. Tra traffic within that time, that decides more. A mile's uh, traffic's not created equal. A mile's not created equal. The consistent speed isn't created equal. A time at detention for what kind of load it is isn't created equal. What do you think about that statement? Is that a way people should be thinking about this, that you've got to be thinking about time more so than even rates? Yeah, absolutely. Like in a lot of places have like really tight uh, delivery windows. You know, you, you can't arrive late because they'll they'll give you a, a fine. You can't arrive early because they'll give you a fine. Like I never understood the attitude of like fining somebody because they got there uh, three hours early instead of two hours early, knowing that there's going to be a four hour wait to get into the facility. Yeah, a lot of people want to reverse to you and you. They're like, well, if a driver drops off two hours before he's supposed to come too, we should be able to charge you back. Because now we got to go and find another driver. Now you've wasted a day of our shipping. So people think that, that there should maybe be some reform there on, on both sides. That kind of seems fair. I mean, I think so. That's why we're seeing a lot of the visibility pushes because people want to hold each other accountable more. And for so long, you had to wait for a shipper to feel like paying you. Yeah. Uh, having that same way saying, I saw you decided to mess it up and I have the data to back it. Sure, because there are carriers who will do that and they'll say the truck broke down when in fact the person just overslept and they didn't feel like running the rest of the load. Yeah, it doesn't change the impact that happens to the person who thought they were just in a business relationship with you and who thought that truck was going to arrive. So I think that that's, that should be that can be thought about. I think that sounds fair enough. Alex Woods, training in the 3PL space as a whole isn't up to par and encourages poor practices that seep into LinkedIn arguments on the regular. So when I first started in this business was at FedEx Trade Network's world-class training. I thought it was every place. So after six years, I leave there and, you know, you think the grass is greener. I can tell you some places don't even have grass. Some places have zero training whatsoever. They just like come in. They're like, here's your desk. Dude. And you're like, what? do what? I don't I was, I was, I was clearing fish and sneakers. This is com completely different. Um, so I would agree with that. I would say training at 3PLs is pretty crappy. It is, and there's a reason they last so long. I call them puppy mills sometimes. Brokerages get a kid right out of college. You give him his first salary. He has no idea about sales. You hype him up. You give him two or three weeks of figuring out how to use the platform and put what a load is, and you send him out there as either a helper. It is almost like a Ponzi-style pyramid scheme, and you hope enough of them stick around to actually turn into something productive. I'd love to see some changes. Folks are trying to do it. You know, we have a lot of brokers we talk to that are trying to do it, but it's such a grind. It's like a World War One battlefield where you're like, all right, over the top, 100 calls today. Who's going to make it? And then you hope you land a customer. It's brutal out there. This is my favorite one. Joss Gentle. Freight Waves is greater than Jason Miller. I think we, <laughs> we would all agree with that one. <laughs> You're not as much of a LinkedIn guy. You don't really know the Jason Miller. He's giving me a hard time already from my dad. I got to meet him one time. Oh, um, you did? I, yeah, when we had some OTVI changes and stuff, I found out real quick Jason was the first to point it out. So uh, I'm on the show one day. Who knows? <laughs> not that I should. You know, he's got, he's got a crazy mustache now. Have you seen that? Thing? Really? Yeah. He's got, uh, if, uh, I need to see if we can give him some mustache wax. Uh, make a parlay for peace. He's got he's to spin up. All right, guys, <laughs> Halloween's coming up. Which way are you dying? Let's take a look at this safety video here. Which way do you think would claim your life, Thomas Wasson? And Justin, keep an eye on these. This first guy just got blown into the stratosphere. He's trying to open the tank. This guy was really unlucky. He just got hit with the, with the blade oh. in his face. He's trying to cut some metal. Exploded. This dude, I don't know what he's thinking. He decides to ride this he's wheel around, pump. and he cuts his fingers off. Oh, no. <laughs> these guys here, I mean, this is, and if you look, all these guys are wearing masks, but it doesn't seem to help at all. Mine would be the no. one with the giant right there. It's comical enough. This is how I die. This is me. I'm in my Crocs. I'm crossing the road. I got them, and I have them in a sport mode, so I can't get them off easily. And this guy runs me right over. That's, not, that's straight out Austin that's a, Powers. That's a great anti-flip-flop PSA. Oh, this guy, too. He just got, like, oh. a rib into his heart. And him, he just falls oh, off the building. Gross. There's an OSHA person out there taking This is notes. Justin. There's Justin at, at back at USPS. <laughs> yep, <yes. laughs> He's getting launched. That would also be me right here. Is that a giant? Oh, there oh, we go. Oh, oh, so yeah. I'm lucky, oh. too. 
Like, and this guy just got folded. <laughs> I'd be the fall damage guy. I don't have that good This work. guy's trying to answer his phone, and then he just got That's a Tesla factory right there. Wait, <laughs> that's not good. He's now inside your cyber truck. And these guys just have too much. We'll Hey, go find Thomas Watson 7 on the X. Go find Justin at Super Trucker. We're going to stay on this convoy story. We'll bring you more information as it comes to light for us. Find this show wherever you get your podcasts. Look up uh, What the Truck on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duna. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find the show, FW What the Truck. Get us on TikTok. We're big time over there. Take it easy. Take care. Don't be a stranger.